Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Guidepost in Motion, a podcast highlighting risk, compliance, and security professionals with insights meant to keep you, your business, and operations moving forward. My name is Katya Gozias. I'm a Managing Director at Guidepost Solutions. Today, we are launching our new series, Off the Chain. It's a discussion about exciting innovations and best practices in the crypto and blockchain space. Uh, joining our podcast today is Tim Vasco. Tim is a seasoned entrepreneur and a cloud pioneer. He is the founder and CEO of BlockCerts International, a leader in the blockchain marketplace featuring the first authenticated blockchain and app platform, and the past founder of Finios, the fintech platform. MarketWatch did an article on Tim called, uh, Look Who's Killing the Great Chiefs of Wall Street. Analytics Magazine also highlighted BlockSearch as one of the top 10 most innovative blockchain companies of the year. Today, in part one of Off the Chain, Tim and I are going to talk about the C-Suite's transition to new technologies, including the necessary transformation to digital assets and blockchain technologies, and what the C-Suite really needs to think about when making this transition. Tim, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here, Katya. Thank you so much for, uh, for the invitation. Really appreciate it. and looking forward to today. Thank you. We, we're uh, thrilled to have you. Um, so before we jump in uh, into the nitty gritty, if you will, um, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your background and what you what led you to building Finios and BlockCerts? Yeah, I, uh, I've been around the technology industry pretty much all my life, Katja, and, and, uh, and the business industry. Um, it, what led me, it's a long story and we don't have time to get into that, but what led me to build BlockCerts um, and starting out with Fineos was this idea that authentication always seems to be the biggest problem from legal to, um, to protecting our intellectual property to running our businesses because there's no trust, truth, and transparency that can be relied upon. And when blockchain came out initially um, with Bitcoin and things like that, the proof point with that single app was we can create money that can, can't be duplicated and can't be faked. Well, if you could do that with money, you could do it with fintech. You could do it with the things that that our entire ecosystem and economy is based on. Why couldn't you do it with everything that's involved in a business like contrast transactions, signatures, team players, people that work there, all the parts of an organization? And I looked at it and said, hey, I've been building this technology for all these years. What if we took that entire ecosystem of what we use every day and put it on blockchain and made it work for this trust, truth and, truth and transparency using digital ledger technology? And that's what we did. That's what led me to it, because, you know, that's where problems can be uh, uh, created. That's also where they can be stopped if you get down to the very beginning of it. So that's that's where where I came up with the idea. Well, that's that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, that's incredibly visionary of you. Well, before we get into the nitty gritty of what can go wrong and and why um, blockchain could be a potential solution, uh, off the chain is more than a catchy name. Uh, why don't we go into a little bit about why we decided to name this podcast off the chain? Yeah, I, I think that's really um, was an insightful name that that uh, Guidepost came up with, and and I loved it, and and so 
why I believe off the chain is such an important um, name is because most things happen off the chain. Uh, the chain is new, but historically, all of this tracking that we've seen build up to build these giant companies like Google and Microsoft and Amazon and so forth, if you look at, you know, uh, what Amazon has really perfected. If you like this product, then that, the recommendation and engine and all of that, all of that is based on these big data lakes and ledgers. Um, Facebook, famous for <laughs> their failure in that and, and how they handled the situation of data. Well, when all of that is happening off the chain, then what can we do to make this chain start building that trust and where we need it, the transparency, and then op obviously the single source of truth on the chain. Most of our world is built off the chain. So it makes sense to say, well, let's start with where we're at and realize that there's a ton of things we can do today with technology to bring back that trust truth and transparency into the um, it, it, through these technologies like blockchain and and some of the other ones we'll talk about um, during this podcast. That sounds very reassuring for professionals like myself because uh, in in building trust, truth, and transparency, uh, obviously we'll be good, we're going to be using um, this new technology. But it appears that the gatekeepers will still play a very vital role in this. Am I am I correct in saying that, Tim? Yeah, I think I think the important part to understand is technology today is advancing at an alarming pace, and people talk about things like. AI and machine learning and so forth. But where in the next decade or two decades are these machines going to learn from? And what are we going to evolve into? Well, all of that has to come from the professionals. Uh, that's why we don't already have cars all over the highway that are self-driving cars. The only way you can learn to make those self-driving cars safe is actually to use people. So that you're exactly right. People will always be part of this. Um, maybe in a future podcast, we can talk about DAOs, the Decentralized Automated Organization, and why the first one failed in 2016 to see what the goal is. Does that mean it'll fail forever? No, they're coming. They're here legally in, uh, in the state of Wyoming. But when we start talking about it, how will we get there? It will be the professionals. There's no question about that. Fantastic. Well, uh, with with respect to the C-suite now and, and what most companies are doing, um, it, it appears uh, that, that most people are still um, in, in Web 2.0. So before we get into um, uh, what impact it's having on, on their business and the cost of using old technologies, um, what ex can you describe a little bit? What exactly is Web 3.0 and how is that going to affect the way that people do business, both with respect to to KYX, if you will, um, know, knowing your knowing your customers, knowing your third parties, knowing your vendors, um, knowing your supply chain. Um, can you can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. Uh Web 3.0, well, uh, first understand Web 2.0, and I like how you said KYX. Um, 
we call it KYP at Blockserts. And there's five things that, that really go into this. Know your. So to get rid of the acronym, know your customer started out in the financial industry as a requirement, as you know very well, for AML and various reasons, um, sanctions. We're seeing a lot of that with Russia right now. Um, we call it KYP, which is the protocol, the person, the place, the product or the properties of what you're trying to to do and the process of getting there so it's this it's this five-tiered structure and all of those things need to integrate seamlessly well in web 2.0 when all these original technologies were built uh they were built in silos and we kind of started out with this idea from the c-suite of well we're going to protect all our data and put it in a silo and that's our big, if you will, um, intellectual property or firewall around our business. It's our, our unique, um, our unique uh, asset, which is true. It, it actually is. Then we got into this idea of the cloud. Well, it was more efficient to start networking and creating these assets out there. But the silos really got lifted from this contained where everybody had their own servers to these big cloud service providers like Amazon and Microsoft and Google and to a lesser extent, Oracle Cloud and things like that. And we still had all these silos. So the problem is data is living in these multiple silos. And as we've seen, as soon as you open up one of those silos from a technology perspective, you create an entry point, a hole, a gap in the way that you can get to that data. And you can't easily get to something like KYX. And what are those X's that need to be covered in order to cover our organization, especially for data protection and things like that? Web 2.0 left all of these questions in these holes and technically these problems. Equifax suffered greatly from it because they had an open hole in the system that that violate that allowed hackers to get in and lose some 140, 150 million records. So Web 3.0 addresses that by integrating at the front end across a network using the blockchain, um, using logs and using tools such as the IPFS, which is interplanetary file system that allows us to obfuscate data, obfuscate identity, but make these connections from data silos. And it's probably, we don't have time to get into the technicality of how that all works, but I can say that the time frame that it took to make that has been about um, in, in the marketplace 15 years. So these technologies have been building out maybe for even more than that, maybe up to 20 years. You can go back and trace the roots of the technology that we have really operating today in the Web 3.0 marketplace that have evolved into this to address that exact problem, which is the problem of silos. And now with Web 3.0, we can start putting those business applications on top of it. So pretty much I'd say the engineering's done and it's now about how you apply that engineering into your existing systems and business to lift yourself up to Web 3.0. 
You just made a lot of really interesting points that I think that we can elaborate on. Um, one, one of which, you know, obviously the, the silos have vulnerabilities, right? Um, yes. Both with uh, with respect to access and to hacking, cybersecurity, and data protection, as as, as you stated. Um, but um, one key term that you mentioned was obfuscate, right? And so a lot of people associate uh, blockchain with crypto, and they conflate the two. Um, but part of it is this this whole concept of anonymity and decentralization. Uh, but at the same time, you also made a point that, that um, there, there's a verification process involved, you know, w- with, with respect to the actual data and the identity on the front end. And, and that is by, by virtue of smart contracts and what you build into them, correct? That's correct. And one of the things that uh, we did very early on, we created Boxer's um, just months literally after Ethereum was created from what Ethereum was doing, recognizing the fact that without that foundational embedding of authentication um, that can be certified and then utilize this cryptography that's in blockchain, this this, uh, mechanism to hide that human readable form. And I always refer to human readable form as being the real key to going from the chain to off the chain. So, you know, on the chain, it just looks like numbers. Off the chain, it becomes readable. And the inflection point there is what was the source of truth? What did get there? And who has permission to view that? Now you're getting into all the things that things like GDPR and the California Protection of Privacy Act and the um, in Canada, it's PIPA, even HIPAA and things like that all mandate, but there hasn't heretofore been really, really good opportunities for businesses to create that, that data protection permissioning mechanism. It exists today. So really, it has to start with that authentication. And I started building that in in 2016 when Boxerts came to be because it was obvious. You, you needed to be able to create that authentication at the lowest common point, which is the point of entry. So, so Tim, you made mention of uh, permission. So, so with respect to regulators, if a regulator were to come in and um, – if evaluate somebody's business uh, and, and their KYC processes processes at, at one given point in time. Uh, how, how would they do this, and how would they get this permission? Can you get can you get a little bit more granular with respect to how this is actually implemented? Absolutely, and this goes back to your first uh, question about the idea of bringing in the professionals and the practitioners at the front end. You can't write a smart contract. Just like that machine learning I was talking about, you can't make a contract smart unless you have the intelligence to build it and build into the code in the first place. So permission means that you've already identified something that I've been working on for almost a decade and a half now. Um, In fact, some of my patents are around this, which is called the process flow chain. You as a, as a practitioner, Katya, know that you're always looking at the processes and you're either looking at what happened and going back and tracking the route, or you're saying, this is how you need to execute your processes, right? 
So when you do that, and you do that up front, we really change the mindset in Web 3.0 to this is what I'm doing and my smart contract is going to execute that. And we now work from a from a uh, 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 matter of exceptions, in other words, things that didn't go the way it was planned or are blocked before a bad transaction goes through, before the problem becomes exponentially bigger because we've caught it through this technology. If you do that, it's really easy for the regulators because it becomes real-time regulation. You're doing it internally and you're also preventing problems before they become a problem. It's a change in the mindset of how uh, machines and this computer technology can act up for your benefit up front as opposed to after the fact or trying to chase it after the problems already occurred. That's really where the idea of smart contracts come into play. Digital ledger technology comes into play, which is blockchain. And uh, eventually, after you have enough data, you can write these AI learning roadmaps and so forth and expand from there. So if I understand you correctly, in a way, it's neither smart nor contract. It's, it's an if-then transaction uh, based on information that uh, gatekeepers input onto the chain, um, and then it becomes immutable. And, th- and therefore, you, c- you can provide regulators or whoever needs access or permission, if you will, at any given point in time to access this information. You can provide them real-time access. And you're exactly right. And that's a really good way to describe it because computers are binary. And the only catch to all of this is this idea of redaction. And in a binary transaction, a redaction means going off um, like an off-ramp, meaning you're still trying to get to your destination, but an off-ramp off-ramp happened. That's an exception. But, you know, I don't have time to go into that right now. I hope I explain that the way that you create these permissions is initially in where what's going to need to be seen and what a user, um, a regulator or otherwise can do. That's that's what the uh, this technology allows for. That, that is all incredibly exciting. Um, and I think that for the most part, from based on the individuals that I have spoken to, they, they definitely um, want to know, number one, what the competition is doing. Number two, um, it, it, there's somewhat a degree of keeping up with the Joneses uh, w- with respect to uh, what the competition is doing. So, um, but at the same time, uh, if you talk to any person in the C-suite, their their stance is going to be, what is this going to cost me? Um, and what is the cost of not doing it? So before we get into, you know, how this could be a money-saving uh, endeavor, uh, wh- what are, um, if you will, uh, the consequences for not implementing this kind of technology? Um, well, I think that what we can do is we can say they're huge and the stats are out there. I know we're running close to being out of time here. So what I'll say is very quickly a soundbite and maybe listen to off the chain in the next, in the next few podcasts to hear about some real specific statistics, but um, the phishing for uh, uh, phishing 
cost for a 9,600 person um, company is, I believe I read it was about $1,450 per employee. So add the numbers up. The costs are extremely high. And I've heard the costs for a, um, MIT has lots of stats on this, in fact. Um, and uh, the costs for a data breach are somewhere in the neighborhood of, on average, $3.8 million on average for any company. So if you're a large company, you certainly are exposed to tremendous, enormous costs. All you have to do is go look at the fines out there. And uh, Wells Fargo's fine for the breach of fake um, uh uh, account opening was $3 billion. I mean, the cost of not doing it is so extraordinary that it's almost, it's, it's almost not even a question. Everybody knows what uh, Wells Fargo went through. Indeed, a lot of us personally. Thank you once again to our listening audience for tuning in today for another episode of Guidepost in Motion. I hope that you enjoyed part one of Off the Chain and will join us again next week when we welcome back Tim and talk about what the C-suite needs to think about when implementing new technologies um, and how they can use these solutions to their advantage. Until then, if you need assistance uh, transforming your business, please visit our website at guidepostsolutions.com. 